This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. Hi, David. Hi, Susan. Glad to be here. So glad that you are here with me today, because this is an important topic, and I know it probably sounds like to some of our listeners that we've um, done this before, and in some ways we have, but there's just been a whole bunch of new information coming out regarding vaping, regarding nicotine, and regarding marijuana and its effects on teens and how the uh, way in which teens are using marijuana and nicotine is vastly different than it was even a few years ago. And all of this is uh, raising a lot of concern, particularly around the Uh, growth and development of the teenage brain. So we decided that we would come back and revisit some of these topics and add, hopefully to your knowledge, um, about some of the ways in which we really need to be cautious about teens smoking, drinking, using marijuana. One of the um, feedback comments that I received after the last time we did a show on marijuana was, don't you guys think you're beating a dead horse? <laughs> and at the time, I was like, yeah, you know, we might have talked about marijuana um, a few too many times recently. But but every one of the patients that I see that's dealing with, with opiate addiction mm-hmm. started out with marijuana. Um, and it's still directly impacting our population. Um, and so with all of these studies that are coming out, um, I think that we need to keep beating a dead horse and just keep reminding people that smoking marijuana is not an inconsequential um, herb, natural substance. It's something right. that has a lot of consequences. And, and um, that, you know, we've always known the faster something gets in, the more damage it does. And what people are doing is getting it in there faster and faster. And it's making a huge impact and unfortunately not a positive one. As we uh, get to this time of year when there's uh, a lot in the news about elections and there's also new legislation I know coming out in Georgia about greatly expanding not just the number of conditions to be treated by medical marijuana, but also the different ways in which marijuana can now be used. Right now in Georgia, we have options for people in terms of what they call low low uh, uh, marijuana oil. Unfortunately, first of all, it's not low, uh, especially not compared to other states. Uh, but second, secondarily, it's um, very difficult for the person to be able to get it, and people are having to break some laws. So there's a big push here in Georgia to allow cultivation and allow dispensaries and to allow marijuana in a wide variety of forms, including smoked marijuana, edibles, and other things. Now, there's not limits right now in terms of ages of uh, people being able to get a, quote, medical marijuana card in the state of Georgia. So it's open season for children to be able to have access to that here in Georgia. And uh, there's just all kinds of things that raise my alarm. And certainly I think our listeners should be concerned as well about 
the access that children will have to this drug. And it's not just the risk of addiction that I'm concerned about, although that, of course, is what we see very commonly, but it's the actual effect on the developing brain and how this can change a young person's motivation, thinking, all kinds of things that creates my real concern. And we don't have very good uh, track record of keeping nicotine and alcohol away from young people, so I don't think we're going to do uh, as well. And I think that since at some point in time we want to be able to retire and depend on the next generation, <laughs> right. that we need them with their earning potential. Marijuana is, is definitely shown to have an impact on a person's earning potential. Um, and there's so much that's going on in the adolescent brain. There's so much going on in adolescence anyway. Anyway. Um, so one of the articles that I had initially looked at was a, a good reminder about nicotine. Mm-hmm. I know most of the show is looking at marijuana, but this this one was particularly looking at at um, the rates of nicotine use among teenagers. Right. Um, and it was talking about seventy um, percent of adolescents had acknowledged trying um, nicotine before the or uh, by age fourteen. I mean, that's a huge number. That's a huge number. Um, and and the part of what it was talking about was that the adolescent brain is much quicker prone to addiction, um, um, that it impacts their ability to uh, manage and cope with stress much quicker than it does an adult that begins using. And so they begin showing signs of nicotine dependency really, really quickly, even with really low doses, and that the adolescent brain has this invincibility that thinks, well, I'll just be able to smoke for a a couple years and then I'll quit, like it's going to be a super easy thing, and what they discover is that it's not. It is really not. And uh, to your point about the more rapid onset of physical dependence and addiction with nicotine in particular, is uh, we used to think it was because the prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain right behind our forehead that we get when we're fully developed as adults in our late 20s. Uh, We used to think, well, kids don't have that, so they don't have the good judgment and they don't have the ability to control impulses, delay gratification, do some of these other things. And while that is very true, the part of the brain that does develop much more quickly in adolescence than in adults is the pleasure center. So the part of our brain, deep in our brain, so if I stuck one finger in my ear and the other finger on the top of my head, the point at which those two lines meet is the part of the brain we're talking about here when we're talking about the pleasure center. And this is for everybody, not just people who have the disease of addiction, but for everybody, this part of the brain develops very quickly, often by um, the 10 or 12 years old, kids are really capable of getting a big dose of dopamine and getting a lot of pleasure from things that before were nice, but mm, not so much. Now, without the good judgment to think something through and say, maybe this isn't such a great idea, they try something and they get a big jolt of dopamine that they haven't experienced before. They don't have caution bumps, as my grandmother would say, and so they're much more likely to try things out and then find the pleasure of it, whether it's intimate relations, whether it's video games, whether it's 
substances, whether it's sugar, all of these things are greatly affected. And when you have a substance like nicotine that releases this dopamine very quickly because it's inhaled and gets right up to that pleasure center of the brain, they're going to have a big response. They're going to have a really big response to nicotine, and it's going to get them, so to speak, using air quotes. It's going to get them much more quickly than might otherwise happen if they started smoking at, say, 25 or 30. Yeah, this article was actually saying even if they're only smoking two cigarettes a day, so it was a really low number, many teens would exhibit dependency behaviors after just two weeks. And part of what it highlights is that it gets to the brain within 10 to 20 seconds after being inhaled um, and releases a lot of dopamine. A lot of dopamine to which their brain is now suddenly very sensitized to and not used to having around. And so this uh, level of pleasure and uh, uh, level of reward that they are getting is so new and so different that it does create this um, uh, perfect storm of a young person being more likely to be physically dependent, more likely to get a really good high, and more likely to not have the good judgment to not get started down a path that they may not be able to get off of later on in life. There was a a really interesting video recently by um, ASAP Science. Uh Um, I think they do great videos. They're very educational and, and done in a pretty easy way. But part of what it was talking about was that that scientists are beginning to debate dopamine, that they recognize the pleasure piece, that it releases all this dopamine and gives great pleasure. But what they're recognizing also is that it, it causes people to keep repeating the same behavior. Mm-hmm. And so even after the pleasure is long gone, that continually repeating the same behavior stays. And they're thinking that's also a component of dopamine. Um, so... That was really pretty interesting, and since adolescent brains are so susceptible to the power of dopamine. Yes, it makes it really scary. It's almost like it puts these behavioral pathways down in steel cable. And so that tendency to keep repeating a behavior long after the reward is gone is one of the hallmarks of, uh, of addiction. And nicotine is, of course, our most addictive drug, and uh Depending on where you read, uh, up to 30% of the population is addicted to nicotine. The numbers for alcohol and for other drugs is much lower. Marijuana, it's 9%. But nicotine is our longest and most continuous addiction for most people, except maybe these days sugar. And I think sugar is a whole other story. But nicotine is a powerful reinforcer. And while we are happy that people are moving away from the use of cigarettes so much, the Juul and some of the other vaping um, apparatus, apparati, Mm -hmm. what is the plural, um, (laughs) are really frightening because they're not regulated. Uh, Teens can buy them. Teens can get them on the Internet. And many times uh, the, the teens are really attracted to the bright colors of, um, 
of the packaging. They're attracted to the advertisements that are done, and they're very attractive to the flavors like mango and bubblegum and cotton candy. Not usual flavors that most adults would really be attracted to on a regular basis. Yeah, generally adults are going to be turned off by most of those flavors. And it's, um, it's definitely a problem because the studies are showing that kids starting to smoke using the tobacco-less um, uh, methods often appears to be leading to them picking up nicotine in its traditional form via cigarettes. And there's lots of reasons for this, and, and David, you and I have had some of these discussions about what happens when you run out of nicotine juice, or uh, the store is closed, or you don't have enough money because it's more expensive than standard cigarettes. Um, yeah, the, the studies are really clearly showing that people who are using vaping devices are also using cigarettes, and those who are using vaping devices in order to quit are are either doing both, which we don't really know the consequences of, or they're increasing their nicotine intake. The other part that's so dangerous about it is that um, when something is vaporized, you don't really know what's in there. Right. And real often what we know is that what's in there is THC. And Correct. the high that people are getting from THC that's been vaporized um, – apparently is is pretty impactful. Very substantial. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about um, the use of tobacco, nicotine, and um, alcohol, marijuana on the teenage brains. So please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. 
More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me, I have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. And we would really like um, our listeners to know that we are spending a lot of time working on uh, helping people stop not only marijuana, but also nicotine. And as we look forward to the Great American Smokeout next month, we're going to talk more about actual treatment and ways in which people can find uh, some help to stop using nicotine and also stop using marijuana. So stay tuned for that. But right before the break, um, and David, you were um, making some really interesting points about um, uh, the impact of um, the vaporizers. The vaporizers. Um, um, so part of what we were talking about was how how people who vape real often also use cigarettes and how they go back and forth between the two. But the other big concern is that when somebody is vaping right there beside you and it smells like bubble gum, you don't know what they're vaping. Correct. And so this new this study that's come out of um, California. Um, well, I'll have to get back to where it came from. But the study really highlights that what teens are putting in vaping is often not nicotine. That um, real often what they're putting in there is is uh, THC and that they are getting um, very, very high from it and it's having impacts. I, I love when you said that it gets laid down there like steel cable. The behaviors right. and things are getting laid down like steel cable and the behaviors that we see and and um, in terms of their minimizing and their manipulating and their stealing and all those things become a part of who they're defining themselves as, and it's getting in there so quickly. And when they can take the uh, the little one shots or the um, vaporizers into places that they normally might not be able to or to use them at school and when things like the jewel looks like a little um, USB thumb drive that um, now can also be used with uh, marijuana we really begin to see that right under our uh, our noses uh, without us being able to smell it, which was the, the usual way in which parents and teachers and law enforcement and other folks were able to recognize when someone was using pot. Now that that is not necessarily what they are um, smelling, uh, is um, it's a whole new world out there, and young people are finding this as a a very convenient way in which they can be using pot with no one knowing around them that they're using. Part of what's been so interesting about this most recent study, um, you know, they do these these studies that are kind of monitored as the as the monitoring our future where they're looking at teenagers at different age categories. Right. So in this study they they interviewed approximately 15,000 students, 8th, 10th and 12th graders. Um, and looking at the study that they were talking about the ones that re- they reported using a vaporizer in the past 30 days. Um, and it's interesting that the rapid growth of the 
people reporting use in the last 30 days was remarkable to, to the researchers. Um, but also what was remarkable was that there are a large number of them who say that they're just vaping vape juice, that there's no chemicals in it. Um, and then next behind that was nicotine, and then following that was was THC. So it was all up there. And part of what they're also recognizing is that moving from vaping to smoking is um, – becoming a very very common trend as they're as they're using these products the other interesting study that's come out of some of the monitoring the future reporting that's been done since the 70s every year they do look at the 8th 10th and 12th graders and look at all kinds of are they using drugs are they wearing seat belts are they engaging in risky behaviors and they often add what is the newest latest uh, drug uh, craze One of the things that they're now seeing is that more young people are starting with marijuana than starting with alcohol, and sometimes than starting with with nicotine, that they are aware of the fact that nicotine is harmful, but as the advertising and the legislation leads people to believe that it's a medicine and that it's safe, more kids are having less concern about the safety of it and are certainly now feeling like they can go ahead and use it. And so we're seeing more people using marijuana, and they're using it in more forms than before. So typically we think about people smoking pot, the traditional, in a joint or in a pipe or um, something like this, but they're using it in the vaporizers. They're using it as um, edibles, and this is a really uh, big new thing that we have to be (laughs) worried about, are those gummy bears or that brownie that they're eating just a regular old package of gummy bears and a regular old brownie, or is it containing something else? So teens are using marijuana in more and more forms. They're using it early. And they're um, often vaping it, and people think they're smoking. You know, it's interesting that they're they're becoming little scientists when it comes to making <laughs> right. their own gummy edible gummy products um, and getting the recipes online for mm-hmm. getting a package of gummy bears or gummy worms and getting the liquids and and doing everything they need need to do to create this. Um, and part of what the concern that we've always talked about is that you have no idea the potency of what's getting in there or right. the concentration of what's getting in there um, and how much of an impact it really is having. And because of the different rate of onset of action that we see with the edibles as opposed to something, marijuana, that is inhaled in some way, the um, if you eat it in an edible or you drink it in a, uh, a soda that now has marijuana added, or as they're doing in Canada, adding marijuana to beer, um, we're seeing that the onset of action is much slower rather than within a few minutes um, people getting high, it can take 20 minutes to an hour from an edible before the person actually reaches the high. So in many circumstances, we see that people will have a bite 
and they don't feel anything, so they have a little bit more, and they still don't feel anything, and it tastes pretty good, so they finish the whole thing off, and instead of having a single serving, they are now having four, eight, 16 servings uh, very quickly, and then suddenly being very overwhelmed with an extremely high level of marijuana. They have no idea well, and, and I have coming. to think that, you know, sugar is a pretty good trigger for, for binging all by itself. And so Correct. if this is going to be a gummy or a brownie and there's there's three or four brownies there just begging to be eaten. Right. <laughs> it's it's going to be eaten. It's a, a, a big, big dilemma. There was a study a number of years ago that's often talked about um, the New Zealand study. Right. And that study looked at how regular use of users of marijuana on average were earning about $10,000 less than their their parents. Um, and, and it's a study that's been touted a lot of times, and so it gets mm-hmm. um, kind of questioned in terms of their research methods and blah, 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 and, and trying to kind of dismissed by the smoking community. So what was nice to see is that there's another study that's basically confirming the same thing. This one is out of, uh, out of California, the University of California, um, Davis Health Systems, and this one, almost um, identical results. The research study followed children from birth to age 38 and found that people who smoke marijuana four or more days of the week over many years ended up in a so- lower social class than their parents with lower paying, less skilled, and less prestigious jobs than those who were not smoking marijuana. So that is practically identical to the New Zealand study. Right. Um, and I so really kind of confirming um, and I think it's, you know, it's the things we've talked about. It impacts motivation, impacts drive, impacts willingness to do what it takes to learn what Something you need hard. to know to mm-hmm. become, um, you know, a doctor or a scientist. And the other piece of that is that the, the New Zealand study that uh, looked at the people over um, – 30 or more years, and they did three IQ tests over this period of time. And on average, uh, people who are using marijuana uh, consistently, and even those that used it for a while and then stopped, on average had a decrease of at least eight points in their IQ. Now, for some people, missing eight points, if you've got an IQ of 150, that's not going to be hardly even... You'll still be a genius. You'll still be a genius. But uh, if someone has an IQ of 100 or less, and I, uh, as our listeners probably know, 100 is average. So half of the population has less than 100 and half of the population has more than 100. Uh, but if you're hovering around that level or lower, that's a significant impact on your ability to learn, to remember, and to be able to be capable of doing some of the more advanced work that our current world is requiring of people. So it it stands to reason that um, chronic users are going to see a bigger impact. And this is some of the first um, generations that we've seen where young people are less successful than their parents. Um, the American dream has always been that the um, the children are going to do better, that the parents are going to make sacrifices, that the uh, opportunities are hopefully going to be there, and that 
families work really hard to make sure that their children have what they need to be successful. And that's traditionally not just the American dream, but the American reality. And now with some of these studies, we're seeing uh, not so much anymore. Really frightening. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at cannabis. It really does matter how young you are when you start. So please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson is here with me from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're looking at the effects of nicotine and marijuana and different ways in which it's affecting particularly our young people. So before the break, we were talking about um, impact on education levels and success and that uh, people who use regularly, and that was considered four more times uh, per week, were shown to have significantly less um, success than their peers and also less success than their parents, which is an unusual thing to happen here in the U.S. So one of the um, other things that I think is um, something to really think about is that 
the younger you start using marijuana, the greater the chance that it is going to have a significant impact. And that sounds like a duh, but um, really there's a difference between somebody starting at age 13 than somebody starting at age 17 or in their 20s. There's a big difference. And this study at the University of Montreal that was released back in May of 2018 um, shows that the odds of developing any drug abuse symptoms by the age of 28 was reduced by 31% for each year of delayed onset of cannabis use as an adolescent. So if you are, are starting to use... Um, cannabis, starting to smoke it uh, before the age of 15, you are going to have a significant increased chance that you are going to not just have a cannabis problem, but a drug problem in general. Um, And that uh, you can really improve your odds of doing better by delaying even until you're 17. Uh, 18. Certainly by the age of 21, there's a big, big difference. Yeah, we would definitely encourage getting to the age 21. <laughs> For sure. For sure. And, and that just completely validates what we see. I mean, when we see people with opiate addiction, when we see people with alcoholism, um, they started with marijuana. It used to be they started with smoking cigarettes, but now what we're hearing is their first exposure um, after. Uh, Ritalin or Adderall in school was marijuana. Uh, these kids, they started um, looking at them in um, in Montreal. They had a thousand boys that they followed, uh, starting in the early '80s, and every year between um, uh, ages 13 up through age 28, they were asking them about their use of cannabis, then their use of other drugs, including hallucinogens and cocaine, amphetamines, barbiturates, tranquilizers, heroin, inhalants, very common drugs, unfortunately, that we see kids using. And the study showed not only did they have a problem with marijuana if they started, uh, before the age of 17, but they had a significant increased chance that they are going to have trouble with all of the drugs, not just um, not just marijuana. And um, you certainly don't want to start before age 15. And if you can wait to age 28, you are golden. It's probably not going to be that nearly detrimental. that detrimental to part of part of what always strikes the um, the patients and their families when you lecture about marijuana is is when you talk about our, our cannabinoid receptor sites mm-hmm. and that we have them there to get the feeling of satisfaction from a job well done from putting in a, a good workout or being a part of a team and having all of that the adrenaline from a good practice mm-hmm. and you get your cannabinoids filled from from that satisfaction um, and marijuana takes over and fills that without doing any work and so for these young people the idea of working to get this feeling versus just smoking a little bit to get th- this feeling um, it's a really impactful lecture for, for them to hear. Part of, um, again, the science videos, <laughs> what they were talking about with the cannabinoid receptors is that that 
what we're finding is that they're so crucial in the learning, in the yes. laying down of learning, the taking of information from one synapsis to another and putting it into long-term memory. Right. So the studies are, are verifying that people who are smoking marijuana have issues with short-term and long-term memory. Right. Um, and, and basically because the receptors that they need open to pass that information along are blocked by, by the THC. And because THC is fat-soluble as opposed to water-soluble, which most drugs um, of misuse are, uh, because it's fat-soluble, it's going to hang around in our brain because we've got a lot of fat in our brain. So even though the person may not be actively under the influence, meaning feeling high, they're still under the influence in terms of the alcohol, or the, excuse me, not alcohol. The marijuana. The marijuana is um, stored in the fat in their brain and is still having this long-term impact because we talked about the pleasure center and certainly marijuana releases that with, you know, finger in your ear and finger on the top of your head. Um, But when you look at pictures of the cannabinoid system in our brain, it is virtually everywhere in our brain. So whether it's learning a motor skill like playing soccer or riding a bike, whether it's um, visual and verbal skills, whether it's memory, whether it's, um, you know, studying for your science class or learning to play the violin, all of these regions of the brain are involved, and our endocannabinoid system is there for us to be able to, like you said, David, be rewarded for doing these hard things and being persistent. It takes a lot of work to learn to play soccer. It takes a lot of work to learn to play the violin, and there's lots more disappointments than highs, but the endocannabinoid receptors and system is there to keep us going, to keep us motivated to do these things. And unfortunately, when you smoke pot or you ingest pot in some way, what happens is these this system is just overwhelmed. They're getting such a huge dose, huge dose um, uh, from the marijuana, much more so than our normal system is. Uh, almost immediately you can tell the difference in kids who've started smoking pot. And what's ironic is they're often then carted off to their pediatrician or maybe a child psychologist or psychiatrist and they're labeled with ADD because suddenly they're forgetful and they don't care and they're not motivated and they don't want to go to school and they don't want to go to soccer practice and they don't want to hang out with their friends anymore and they're not interested in anything but hang hanging out, playing video games, and not doing the things they used to do, so immediately get diagnosed as being depressed or more likely with sudden onset of ADD and put on a stimulant um, to help them be a little more motivated. And it's, it's just a pattern that you see over and over again. It's really frightening to me. This particular drug scares me almost more than heroin in the fact that the, the huge impact this can have on our society. Well, and especially when you see such a push coming from so many different directions to make it legal and to make it a, um, a crop for Georgia farmers, 
um, realizing that there is so much bigger of an impact from this substance economically for all of us than what's really being talked about. Um, another study, speaking of marijuana getting in your system and hanging around for a long time, this one was looking at mothers who were breastfeeding. So this study looked at um, 54 samples from 50 women who were using marijuana either daily, weekly, or sporadically with inhalation um, being their primary method of intake. And what it found was that components of marijuana in 63% of the breast milk samples for was was found in 63% of the samples for up to six days after inhaling. Wow. Um, six days. Again, because there's a lot of fat in bre- breast milk, by the way. Well, I figured that that was about something to say when we were talking about the, the fatty <laughs> brains, that there are other areas of our body that contain a lot of fat. But if you figure it's still in there six days later, the concentration that's in there at day one or day two must be significantly high. And it is a substance that we know easily crosses the blood-brain barrier. And that's a very interesting thought that uh, marijuana is a small enough molecule that it can certainly get into adult brains or adolescent brains. It can get into the brains of infants even before they're born. And um, there was another study that looked at what happens when mothers have been smoking uh, marijuana or using marijuana when they're uh, pregnant. And this impact... um, uh, that's happening. This comes from the um, Harvard School of Public Health looking at children whose mother smoked marijuana, um, showing that there is a strong predictor that if the mother started using while she was pregnant or during the first 12 years of the child's life, so not just in utero but just being around it, that their children are much more likely to use marijuana and much more likely, unfortunately, again, to use it at an earlier age. And this um, this study was um, looking at over 4,000 children and uh, 2,500 mothers, and they, they monitored these children um, up to the age of 18, I believe, and found that um, this very high rate of childhood and adolescent cannabis use when they were exposed either in utero or because their mothers were smoking around the children before the age of 12. So scary, scary stuff. But And definitely part of what we've known with alcohol and with, with nicotine is that in a household where there's a more permissive attitude from the parents right. towards the use of these substances that you're likely to see see teenagers and, and older children starting at a much younger age. And so it just stands to reason that the same would be true for moms that are <coughs> indulging in marijuana, that they're going to have a more permissive attitude around it um, as the kids are growing up. And possibly some earlier in utero or in breast milk, actual exposure. Um, changing of their brains. Changing of their brains at a very early age. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about um, 
kids' brains, and the use of drugs and alcohol. Thanks so much for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is America's Web Radio. Today with me in studio is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we've been looking at what happens when young people are exposed to marijuana, uh, tobacco, uh, nicotine, and we've talked a little bit about alcohol, and we focus primarily on children and adolescents, but I think another population that we need to have some level of concern, and that is our college-age young adults. Um, This is certainly a time in many people's lives when they have um, more freedom. They can drive. They can (laughs) uh, have less limits in terms of curfew, and if they're um, living outside the home, they're going to certainly have less adult supervision. No offense to those people that are (laughs) um, in the young adult age, but our brain doesn't let us be adults until we're in our mid to late 20s. So we're calling that age the adults and everything less than that young adults. So this was an interesting study that was... um, uh, so it's another res- another one of the results from the Monitoring the Future study, yes. looking at the results from the 2017 group. Um, and what this one was recognizing, looking at um, college-age students, whether they're attending or not attending college, and what this one found was that non- at- non-college attending young adults age 19 to 22 were um, – 
much more likely to be daily or nearly daily marijuana users. Um, the use among non-college young adults continued to rise from previous Monitoring the Year studies to the highest level in 2017 at 13.2%. Were um, daily users? D- daily or nearly daily users. And the amount of them reporting um, past month use had gone up as well. Um, interesting, the ones who are in college, they had a significantly higher use of alcohol than the um, the ones that were not in college. I, w- I would think that the alcohol use would be pretty even, um, although as you think about it, alcohol use is a peer rivalry, come on, let's go do this right. substance for that age group. Right, a rite of passage. Rite of and passage. We certainly see that many college campuses really struggle with um, the use of alcohol, uh, very much a part of many colleges' um, Greek um, programs, as well as football games and other sporting events that tailgating and pre-game partying using alcohol is a really big deal. So part of what really strikes me about about this one in particular is that one part of what we know w- with long-term marijuana use is that they have, have a tendency to have issues with anxiety. Correct. Um, whether it creates its own anxiety disorder or they mm-hmm. lose their ability to cope without it, and so that looks like anxiety. Anxiety tends to be an issue that they begin to deal with in their late 20s, early 30s. Um, and part of what I'm noticing... People who have anxiety oftentimes will look, um, well, they'll just avoid things mm-hmm. and they'll look like they're just being passive or just have lack of interest or just un- unwilling to try things um, in, a, in a frustrating way. <laughs> but what they're experiencing is anxiety. And it could be secondary to marijuana use. It could be have turned into its own real issue, but it's having a critical impact on a lot of people. Um, and so recognizing that one of the consequences from this whole lifetime progression of marijuana use is increased isolation, increased anxiety, increased inability to um, self-soothe, recognize right. ac- actual adequate pain levels. I mean, the, the consequences just continue to mount as a person ages through this. And one of the things that we often talk about is the idea that when you've When you start using drugs and alcohol as a way to get through life, whether that's um, to cope with anxiety or help you sleep or um, help you feel better in a situation than you normally would, whatever situation you're in, you stop developing your own internal coping skills. Now, most adolescents are awkward and fearful and have a lot of body image issues and um, uh, self-criticism, and we see that this is kind of a normal thing in terms of growing up. Uh, Relationships are difficult. They don't have the skill set to talk to boys or talk to girls. They are often really struggling with how do they get their voices heard and how do they ask for what they need and how do they set boundaries. All of these things are tasks that you learn 
through adolescence and young adulthood. And that's part of the work. It's not just growing taller and passing high school. It's learning to deal with anxiety and stress and relationships and self-esteem. When they start using drugs and alcohol at such an early age, to very quickly change how they're feeling, modulate their mood or take away their anxiety, they don't learn the skills. They get uh, arrested, if you will, at that whatever age they began using something regularly. We see this all the time. Here are these young adults and some adults that look at the appropriate age and they're certainly dressed appropriately and have nice vocabularies, but they don't have the skills to as you say, self-soothe. They don't have the ability to negotiate relationships, and they often have this failure to launch that many of our parents uh, report that the kids just don't want to leave home. And they just don't leave home. And they don't leave home. (laughs) It's it's just kind of a comfortable sitting in their situation, not dealing with the stress or strains of life that they need to in order to go on and be successful. And what's interesting is that it doesn't seem to occur to the patient or their family that they don't really have the skills to do this. They don't really know how to take care of themselves, and they don't really know how to modulate their mood or deal with stress. And so they just don't. They just kind of stay in the basement and uh, seem very content with not venturing out and living a fully actualized adult life. Time for another show looking at how often parents will adjust to that and and parents will begin just assuming that their child is not going to ever be out of their house and they start planning for how they're going to take care of this person after they're gone modifying their own lives in order to take care of this person that's just not not launching yes it is a very important topic and it's not a rarity anymore it's certainly not we see lots of Lots of situations where the young person may need to come back home or live at home for a while as they're working their program of recovery and getting back on their feet and making amends and getting back into school and doing some of these things where they do need the family's help to be able to accomplish recovery. But And that happens, but we also see situations where the young people just... Are, are are unable and many times unwilling to leave home and to assume an adult life. And and the resources really aren't there. Correct. I mean, there's if they have full-fledged diagnosed addiction and they're going into treatment and then a halfway house and the, the treatment providers are really taking over, but if they're just kind of meandering through life and not launching, then then. It's kind of, they just, people become kind of stuck in that place. And families, as you say, adjust, adapt, and rescue. And the real problem is not addressed, which is often that the young person has no idea how to negotiate life in an adult way because it was arrested that that part of growing and developing as an adolescent 
didn't happen for them and they don't know how to deal with relationships and they don't know how to deal with being responsible showing up on time for work and asking for a job and going through a frustrating time of I don't really like this job but I really need the money so I got to figure out how to I'm going to keep doing it until I find a new job rather than just walking away and saying I'm not doing this yeah it's, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon, and it is something that I think does develop, at least in some part, from young people starting to use drugs and alcohol at a very early age. So our take-home message is, please make sure that you are able to know where your kids are and encourage them to live a clean and sober life so that their brains and their ability to launch is where we are. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next week on Detailing Addiction. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, 
You need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Tom, thank you 